0: I call your attention to the scripture this morning. It's found in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It's a familiar story, and particularly if you've spent any time in the book of Acts, you'll recognize it right away It's one of those favorite stories in the history of the church. <clears throat> Let me read it as you might follow along. Now, as an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to his slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down in the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Ozotas, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Will you pray with me, please? <clears throat> so, Lord, we tend turn our attention to Your Word, and we ask, Father, as familiar as a story may be to us, that we find in it the very truths that not only are a discovery, but also serve as application to our lives as how we are to follow you, how we are to respond to your leading, to the messengers you put in our lives. So guide us, Father, through this passage of Scripture and speak to us clearly, we ask in Christ's name, amen. One of the questions that is most often asked is this. How can we spread the Christian life from one person to another? How can we extend and promote the Christian movement? Americans are experts in promotion, expert promoters. And yet, when we look at the Church, we know that it's lost this particular quality of the power to extend itself. Young people grow up to maturity and make their own decisions, apparently with little, if any, interest at all in the Christian movement. Well-living, intelligent men and women may have scant concern for the church, do nothing about it, contribute nothing to it, and gain nothing from it. Outside the immediate circle of our relatives and friends in this world, are the masses of men and women who are completely untouched by this resurrection moment. The question is, how can we make the movement move? I read these words from a commentary, The Interpreter's Bible, which was copywritten in 1954. Nearly 70 years ago, the questions then are the same as they are today. How can we spread the Christian life from one person to another? How can we make the movement move? Well, I believe our text this morning, the message is found within this story, some of the answers to the questions that we've raised. The main characters of our story this morning are an angel, Philip, the Holy Spirit, and the Ethiopian eunuch. We left Philip last week rejoicing in the response of the Samaritans as he was there where he proclaimed to them the Christ. And one of the last sentences in that passage of scripture was, There was much joy in the city. Sounds like a pretty fruitful ministry, doesn't it? What can be recognized as a successful work for the cause of Christ, he then is directed by an angel, a messenger from the Lord, to rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Mark Skinner, one of the other commentaries that I was looking at, made this statement. In Acts 1.8, Jesus declares that his followers will be his spirit-led witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. By the time we arrive at Acts 8.26, they have been in all the places except one, the ends of of the earth. However, it's interesting to note that this ends of the earth is going to be reached, not necessarily by Philip, but by the one to whom he bears testimony of the love of Jesus Christ. Luke, no, Luke in his writing of this story, refers to a desert place. Now, this isn't necessarily Uh, an arid, dry, thirsty land. It can more particularly pertain to uh, a land that is uh, uninhabited or or few of those who represent residency in that area. And so the angel said, rise and go. (laughs) And he rose and went. It's that simple. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. (coughs) Ethiopia was a kingdom between the Egyptian city of Aswan and the uh, Sudanese city of Khartoum, corresponding to our our contemporary times uh, being near the area called Nubai. So this is an area, uh, more of a dynasty than really a nation. And um, when we talk about uh, Candace, it's, it's not her name. It's more of a title given to uh, one who would be a queen in this particular kingdom. A title similar to the ruler of, of Egypt, such as Pharaoh, or the ruler of Rome, such as Caesar. And so we have a reference to this ruler, queen, Candace, by title. This eunuch has traveled over 1,500 miles to worship in Jerusalem, and that would suggest that he's a devout worshiper of the faith. William Barclay helps us, I think, understand the, the relationship that this eunuch might have with the Jewish faith in particular. He writes, In those days the world was full of people who were weary of the many gods and the loose morals of the nation. They came to Judaism, and there they found the one God and the austere moral standards, which gave life meaning. Or they incorporated that God simply as one of their many other gods. If they accepted Judaism and were circumcised and took the law upon themselves, they were called proselytes. If they did not go the length but continued to attend the Jewish synagogues, and to read the Jewish scriptures, they were called God fearers. So this Ethiopian, Ethiopian, must have been one of these searchers which could be found in Jerusalem either as a proselyte or as a God-fearer. Kent Hughes, one of the one of the sources that I often quote, says. Uh, he had just completed this thousand mile journey and this religious pilgrimage to Jerusalem and had been, as one pursuing the, with a searching heart. He says, evidently, while in Ethiopia, he had come under the influence of Judaism and had gone to Jerusalem to become either a proselyte or a near proselyte. Most commentators feel that he was probably a full proselyte because he had a copy of the scriptures which were then difficult to obtain. I, however, I think fall more to the fact that he was a God-fearer. And the reason I say that, according to the Mosaic law, eunuchs were forbidden to enjoy full religious privileges by the Jews as they were considered tarnished because of their emasculation. This then would suggest, because of this status, He would be a God-fearer, not allowed into the temple area, but only into the court of the Gentiles, only to learn about uh, God by going to the synagogues, not to the temple as such. We also have to make the assumption that from the region he he comes, he is black. He's a black man. he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And what did Philip do? Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you are reading? Do you see a pattern here? The angel says, go. What does Philip do? He goes. The Holy Spirit says, go. What does Philip do? He goes pretty good example, I think, in how we are to respond to the messenger sent to us by the Lord himself. The searching heart of this eunuch eunuch is exposed as he expresses his desire to understand the passage that has been opened before him, the same passage that Julia just read to us earlier, the same words that we incorporate year after year in our observance of the season of Lent celebrating Easter. Upon the invitation of the eunuch, Philip joins him as a fellow passenger in the chariot. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. We can only imagine what Philip may have shared when he spoke of the good news about Jesus. I was wondering myself, Would the words be similar to the words that Cleopas and his friend heard when he walked on the road to Emmaus with Jesus? Because that's what Jesus said. He revealed to them who he was through the scriptures. Or did he reference his comments with excerpts from Peter's sermon on that day of Pentecost when so many were one to Jesus Christ? Or possibly he would recall some of the the comments that Peter and John made before the Sanhedrin when they were brought before them to question, by whose name do they have this authority to heal? Or possibly, maybe, there would be some understanding of what Stephen had even said before those who had brought him to his execution. Whatever was said whatever was said, brought the eunuch to a place where he abandoned the Jewish prerequisites to claim Jesus as Lord of his life. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down to the water Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. There are some later manuscripts that include what is referred to as verse 37, which reads, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may, meaning that you can be baptized. And the eunuch answered, I believe this, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When and by whom that was added to the original text, we don't know. But it certainly is a fitting Commentary or editorial of what would precede the baptism itself. Philip did not press the eunuch for any decision. It was the Ethiopian's initiative to pursue the confirmation of his faith in Jesus. As he may have witnessed the baptism of the multitude of people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, or if he had heard of the thousands that sealed their profession of faith in the days that were to follow through baptism, he sought the same opportunity to demonstrate his desire to follow the example of his Christ, the true Messiah. So going down into the water, a picture that points to baptism by immersion, and by by the way, The Greek word for baptism is baptizo, which means to be immersed. The eunuch comes up rejoicing, and Philip is taken away by the Spirit to continue his initiative to be a preacher, an itinerant circuit rider as he goes down toward Gaza but cuts off to the the north and goes up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and finally makes his home in Caesarea, which we will read about later. In chapter 22 as Paul visits Philip in his home in Caesarea. This Philip, what an amazing, amazing servant of Christ. Philip was the ambassador to the despised, the marginalized, as he shared his love of Jesus with the first the Samaritans. And now, with one who had been shunned by the religious elite, one of another race. Philip was a servant in action as well as word. In the fellowship with his, his common believers in the, uh, among the masses that he would address in Samaria, be it crowds or one-on-one, Philip was not hesitant at all to share the good news of Jesus. The gospel is good news for all nations all races, all ethnic groups, all economic classes, for all people, without exception, it is open to all who would choose to believe. So let me take you back to the question. How can we spread the Christian life from one person to another? How can we make the movement move? I think we must follow the example of Philip. First, we must be obedient to God's leading. How God's purposes are thwarted because we are reluctant to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The need of another may go unmet. The opportunity to point someone to Jesus for someone who is searching for the truth or even of greater concern, one remains lost because we fail to be the messenger of hope. We don't take the opportunity. Philip was obedient to the command to go. The angel said, rise and go, and he rose and went. He left the security of a successful ministry in Samaria. And he went to a place that would appear to hold no opportunity to speak of Christ at all to anyone. A deserted place. How often do we pass up the opportunity to serve God and others because of reluctance to leave our comfort zones, those places that are familiar to us, out of fear of the unknown or what might be ahead? The second requirement for the movement to move is to speak of what we have found in Jesus. Verse 35 said, Then Philip opened his mouth, and he told the eunuch the good news about Jesus. Filled with love for Jesus, he spoke of his Lord. You know, we talk about the things that are important to us. We talk about the things that we love. But the degree of our conversation about Jesus might be a gauge by which we measure the depth of our love for him. There are only two ways in which we can present the good news, the gospel, and that's to live it and that's to talk it. It's not one or the other. It's both. Required of us as followers of Christ, required of us as witness of Jesus Christ, of the good news. Last Sunday in our discipleship hour, Brian commented on the opportunities that come our way to be witnesses for Jesus. If we are looking for them, they are there, and seeing them, we must take them. There are all kinds of chance meetings ready to take place in a life that is sensitive and obedient to God's leading. Divine appointments, if you will, await us if we are obedient to God's leading. That was Philip's experience, and that should be ours as well. I think it behooves us to pray for two things. Number one, to recognize the opportunities that are set before us. To be able to share the good news of Jesus with others. And then the faith, the obedient spirit to do it. It's required of us, as it was required of Philip. When you think about praying, let me just throw this little quote out to you. All I know that when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't pray, they don't happen. So if we truly want to be a witness for Jesus Christ, we are required to respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, not only going, but also opening our mouths, as Philip did, speaking the word of truth. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next hour. Let's pray. Lord, we look at these stories and we're overwhelmed by the courage and the faithfulness and the boldness the spirit of obedience that we see in these servants of Christ. Father, you called them out of the ordinary ways of life. You called them from stations in life that are so similar to our own. Their calling is no different than the calling you have for us as followers of Jesus. And so, as Paul so often asks for the church to pray for boldness, We as a church are praying right now, Lord, for boldness, courage to follow you, ears to hear your prompting spirit, heart to embrace it, and hands and feet that are applied to it. Words that are spoken that are not of our own, but only a testimony of the love that comes from Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.